Now, a few years ago, I was at a stand-up comedy show. That's one of the things I like to do. Uh, living in New York, there's many opportunities to go to stand-up comedy shows. And uh, that night, there was a particular comic from Los Angeles, one of my favorite comedians, named by, a guy by the name of Pete Holmes. And like most Los Angeles comics, he had a joke about traffic, okay? Because that's what Los Angeles comics talk about all the time, it's traffic. And uh, I promise you, I wrote this introduction on Tuesday. I didn't know you were going to be sitting in traffic with the veins in your neck bulging today, uh, but it works, okay? But he explained there's basically only two options when you get caught in traffic. And again, he's from Los Angeles, so he's used to uh, all the crazy traffic. He says, you can do one of two things. One, you can panic and you can rage and strive for control, scream at other drivers, honk, you know, lay on the horns. Oh, that's a New York thing. I don't know if that's an LA thing. And you can just assume, this is what happens when many of us get caught in traffic. We assume that what we're doing and the trip we're driving on is far more important than everybody else and what they're doing. You're like, why are you on the road, people? I have somewhere important to be. What could you possibly be doing? You're angry. And then you do the thing where you pull up the traffic app, like Waze or Google Maps, and you try to find an alternate route that will get you there faster. But all it does is takes you careening through residential streets and places you're not supposed to be, right? And he says this option if you try to rage and strive for control and try to figure out a better option, he says, uh, your blood pressure will rise, your shoulders will tense up, and you'll become the Incredible Hulk. Right? You just begin, he says, or you can surrender and remain. He said, traffic? Who cares? Just sit there. Nothing's being asked of you. <laughs> Nothing is being asked of you. Surrender and remain. Say to yourself, this is happening. I can't control the traffic. It's outside of my control. Here I am. I'm going to sit here for a while with my thoughts. I can call a friend. I can keep a friendship alive. I can listen to a podcast. He says, I, you can say to yourself, I'm going to surrender to the moment. He said, the two options leave you with two pretty much uh, results. One is you maybe can find a way to skirt the traffic and maybe you get to work five minutes early, but you're sweating and you're angry and your back is tense. He said, or you can arrive two minutes late in a good mood, ready to tell everybody what you learned on This American Life while you relaxed in your car. Surrender and remain. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who gets caught up in a rage every time a traffic jam comes? Or do you want to be somebody who lives at peace? Surrender and remain. Who do you want to be? Surrender and remain. This is the way. This is the way. Because our lives are a lot like traffic, aren't they? We have a plan. We have expectations. We have an estimated time of arrival. Uh, we have hopes. We have our ideas of how the world should be. And then all of a sudden, circumstances come that are outside of our control. Other people show up into the picture. Health can often leave us in a standstill. Other people's expectations, demands, situations all around us can bring our lives to a standstill. And we find ourselves, we had a plan, we were moving along, and then life throws a traffic jam at us that's outside of our control. And in those moments, you can panic and you can rage and you can strive for control and you can honk your horn and scream at other people, and you can try to find an alternate route, but it's going to leave you feeling anxious, it's going to leave you feeling tense, or you can surrender and remain. 
You see, this is one of the core aspects of recovery. If anybody has ever gone to AA or Celebrate Recovery or NA, um, you know, there's the 12 steps, which have been proven over years. Hundreds of thousands of people have found sobriety and recovery through the 12 steps. And the first three of the 12 steps are this. One, we admit that we are powerless over our addictions and our compulsive behaviors, but we admit that our lives have become unmanageable and that we are not in control of every situation in our lives. That's step number one. Step number two is that we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And then thirdly, we make a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. A way of summarizing the three steps of AA or Celebrate Recovery into a short prayer is this. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, he says, pray then like this. We just prayed, our Father in heaven. What is he saying? You have a Father, a heavenly Father, who is in heaven. He sees all He knows all. He created all. All things were created by him and through him and for him. He is sovereign and he is overlooking his creation. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. And we often live our lives, however, praying, my will, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in my mind. (laughs) what I want, when I want it, how I want it, how I expect it. But the great shift of the Christian life, this is the shift of our minds when we become followers of Jesus, is to move from a life that is grasping for control to a life that releases our lives to surrender. See, the prayer of the Christian life is not my will, but yours. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Matthew 16 24, Jesus told his disciples, he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up, he says, if anyone must follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would try to save his life will lose it. But whoever whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, this is the invitation of Jesus. This is the invitation that he gives to us. It's to trust that he is with us, to trust that he is good, to trust that he wants what is best for us and for his glory, and he invites us to surrender our lives to him, trusting that he will give us, that what he will give us in return is better. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. This is the way of surrender. This is the Christian life. This is, as the series we're in right now, we're in a series called The Me, you, me I Want to Be. It's a series on spiritual growth. This is the Christian life. This is the me you want to be. You want to be someone who is fully and totally surrendered to God. Now, what does a life of surrender to God look like? Now, what's important to understand about this is surrendering to God is both a one-time thing and a daily thing. See, this is what it means to become a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to become a Christian or to convert. There is a moment where you admit, you say, I cannot save myself. 
I can't make up for the wrongs that I've done. I can't make up for the hurt that I've caused. I can't overcome my guilt. I can't overcome my shame. I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself. I can't redeem or deliver myself. And, and when you come to that moment, you say, I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. You surrender your life to God. This is what it means to begin following Jesus. There is no way a human being can come to God that does not first involve surrender. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. This is the way of salvation. But equally true is that not only do we surrender our lives to God in a moment, but each hour and each day we are called to surrender our wills to God. In the Gospel of Luke, when Luke records Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me, Luke says that Jesus said, if anyone must follow me, they must deny themselves and daily pick up their cross and follow me. We don't pick up our cross once but we pick it up daily. John Ortberg says, surrender means this. It means that I will seek to handle the daily problems facing me in a way that honors God. The options that often look attractive to me in rush and in hurry and in pain and in anxiety, things like avoiding, evading, gossiping, and blasting. He says, I will relinquish those desires and those impulses to God. He says, and if my hurt runs deep enough, and if my, uh, and my impulses run deep enough, he said, it'll be about five minutes before the revenge fantasies start raging back in my mind. And he says, I'll have to surrender over and over and over again. You see, when, in our lives, when we're faced with a moment to surrender or to grasp, we can choose to control and panic and strive and live in our own willpower. And when we do this, we're in effect saying to God, God, I trust my life to you, but I'm going to keep this area and this pattern and this relationship under my control. You can have all my life, God, but this area is going to remain under my control. I'm going to hold on to this grudge. I will enjoy the pleasure I get from this sin habit. God, I know you ask for full surrender, but I don't trust you with this thing. And you will never grow into the me that you want to be or the me that God has created you to be with clenched fists. Peter Kraft, the philosopher, says that when we come to God with clenched fists, he has nowhere to put himself. But when we come to God with empty hands and open palms, that is where he can pour out his blessings and place himself into our lives. I can't. God can I think I'll let him. This is the way, not only of salvation, but it's the way of sanctification, of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. We surrender our lives to God at the moment of conversion, and we surrender our wills to God daily, hourly, in every situation. So think of it like this. On February 28th, 2009, I stood in front of my friends and my family, and I surrendered my body my affections, my money, my future, my commitments, and my entire life to one woman, Rebecca. She's serving in kids right now. I made a commitment to her in that moment. And the commitment was this, to love her, to comfort her, to honor her, to keep her in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, forsaking all others, keeping myself only for her, as long as we are both alive. When did I make that commitment? February 28th, 2009, at an altar in front of friends and family at our we- on our wedding day 
at our wedding ceremony. But for the last 13 and a half years, every day, every hour, I have had to choose to honor that commitment. And there's been richer and there's been poorer. And there's been days of sickness and there have been days of health and there have been days where there have been all sorts of things thrown at us. But every day I've had to choose to honor the commitment that I made 13 and a half years ago. You see, this is the way we surrender our lives to God. Yes, we come to God, we follow God in a moment of conversion, we surrender our lives to Him, but each day as, a, as, a, as we live out that surrender, we surrender our wills to God. Nancy DeMoss, she says, at the point of conversion, no one can possibly be aware of all the implications of that transaction, any more than a couple standing at the altar is fully aware of what their vows will mean down the road. Our initial surrender to Christ was the launching pad for a continual surrender and sacrifice. And then Nancy DeMoss, she illustrates her point this way, and I'm just going to read the whole thing, but I think you'll benefit from this. She says, we think of giving our all to the Lord. We think it's like taking a $1,000 bill, which I don't even know if those exist, but that's what she writes, and laying it on the table. Do those exist? I've never had a $1,000 bill in my life, okay? She says, we think, of give, we think of giving our all to the Lord is like giving a $1,000 bill. She says, it's like we say, here's my life, Lord, take it all. I'm giving it all. But in reality, for most of us, what God does is he sends us to the, back to the bank to cash the $1,000 for quarters. And so we have this sack full of quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. As if God's saying this, this, this. As if God's saying, listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost, kid. Go to the committee meeting. Instead of blowing it off, give up a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. 25 cents, 25 cents, 25 cents. These little moments of surrender where we surrender what we've given to God. She says, usually giving our life to Christ isn't all that glorious. It's done in these little acts of love and obedience a quarter at a time. She said, God may be asking you to simply sacrifice the next 30 minutes of your life to call your widowed mother-in-law who can be so negative or surrender your afternoon to help a friend who is packing for a move. That's when you find out who your friends are, don't you? Who's going to help you move? <laughs> or sacrifice, surrender your evening to help your child with a science project, or, sa- or surrender a normal night's sleep to care for a sick child, or surrender your weekend to watch the neighbor's kids. She says, at times the Lord will ask you to lay down several quarters or even several dollars all at once. Instead of taking that expensive vacation or buying that new car or new piece of furniture, God asks us to surrender that money to a mission project or to a family in need. Instead of settling into comfortable retirement life, God asks us to surrender our volunteer services to a ministry in our local church or in our community. Instead of Moving on with our lives, and uh, she says maybe God calls us to surrender and to embrace God's call in our life to receive one more child, to have one more child. Periodically, she says, the Lord may ask for a sacrifice that makes all the previous sacrifices seem insignificant. Quit your secure job and move your family to some place you've never dreamed of living to serve the Lord in a mission organization. Or release your son or daughter to serve the Lord in a foreign country. 
faithfully love your unbelieving spouse who perpetually ridicules you in your faith. Accept with gratitude the gift of a physically disabled child who will require constant lifelong care. Or relinquish your dream of ever being able to conceive and bear children of your own. 25 cents here, 50 cents here, $100 here. This is what God is asking of us. She says, whether they fall in the category of 25 cent pieces or $100 bills, the sacrifices God asks of us are never pointless. We can be assured that each one serves a higher eternal purpose for our lives and for furthering his kingdom, realizing that every act of obedience is significant in God's economy and it is all for him will add a sense of purpose and joy as we bring our sacrifices and offerings. We are all being asked to surrender something to God. It may be 25 cent pieces, it may be $100 bills. But we are called to surrender our lives and we're called to daily surrender our wills. And the question then that I ask for us is, well, what holds us back? What holds us back from surrendering our lives and our wills to God? And I think there's a number of things, right? Um, it could be ignorance. We're just not paying attention to what God is calling us to. It could be denial. Surely God doesn't want that from me, or he would never expect that from me. It could be pride. That's, that's for other people. I'm too good for that. That's beneath me. It could be doubt. We doubt that God is good. It could just be flat-out rebellion. I'm not doing that, God. No. But I know that in my own life, when God has asked hard things or anything of me, the primary thing that holds me back from surrender is fear and worry. That's it. Because the question in my mind is, if I really obey what God is asking of me, what will it cost me? So we think, if I surrender what God is asking of me, if I obey God in these areas that he's asking me to obey, will I still have what I need? Will I be happy? Or will I miss out? Or will I be safe? Or will those whom I love be safe? Will I be alone? Will I have enough? Will I still be me? So we have all these questions of provision and pleasure and protection and relationships and identity going on and our fear and our worry always involves this question. Does God want to take good things from me or does God want to give good things to me? And I can say this from my own experience in this life with confidence is that God doesn't want to take anything from you that you would not be better off without. And there is nothing God wants to give you or do in you that is not for your good and for his glory. So what do you receive when you surrender your life and your will to God? The first thing you receive is freedom. Galatians 5.1, the Apostle Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul calls life on our own as slavery. And he says, life surrendered to God is freedom. And in there, there's a part of us that believes that if we give control of our lives or our wills over to God, that we'll lose something of ourselves, isn't there? We think that um, we'll lose our sense of individuality or our autonomy, that God will rob us of the pleasures or the goals or the achievements that we really want. But God calls us to surrender, not so that he can cage our life in, or so that he can rob us of good things, but he calls us to surrender so that we can be free. See, our egos lie to us. Your ego is your enemy. <laughs> you, your ego will tell you, I might miss out on what I really want. 
money, sex, pleasure, reputation, all those things that I'm convinced that I have to have in the way that I want it, when I want it, for life to be satisfying. You think if I surrender my life or my will or even my mind over to God, I wouldn't be able to think for myself anymore. I would live in deprivation of the things I really want and need. Some of you are like, if I surrender to God, he'll probably make me a monk or a missionary or a nun or a pastor, God forbid. If I surrender my life to God, I'll be a doormat. I'll just be a weak, dependent person or personality. John Ortberg, however, says that it actually works the other way around. He says, you see, if you're dependent on God, he said, if I'm dependent on God, then I'm actually no longer dependent upon money for my security because I trust that God provides everything that I need. I, money, I, I don't need the money. I'm not dependent upon money anymore. I'm free. He said, I'm no longer, if I, if I surrender my life to God, I believe that his worth, of his value, he values me, then I don't look to my attractiveness for my worth. I don't look to circumstances for my peace. I don't look to my children's lives for my well-being. I don't look to your approval for my confidence. You see, the more I depend on God, the more independent I actually become in real life, the more free I actually become. You see, there is greater freedom in surrendering to the care of God than there is outside of His care. Just try to control your own life. Do you feel free? <laughs> or do you feel out of control? The more you grasp for control, the more you seem to feel out of control. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's also a peace that comes with surrender. See, the reason why so many of us are restless the reason why so many of us feel like our souls are at war is because we're trying to control every outcome of our lives. Our kids, our health, our relationships, our church, our spouses, our work, the traffic. <laughs> and listen, as long as you live in denial, as long as you live believing that you can control all the outcomes of your life, you will try to control the outcomes. And that burden the burden of outcomes will crush you because you were never meant to carry the burden of outcomes. You were, you were created to surrender to God and trust the outcomes to him. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is always the Lord's purpose that prevails. Several years ago, I went through a season of pretty intense anxiety and even depression. And at the center of my anxiety was that I was just, I was trying to control every outcome of my life. I was trying to control my kids. I was trying to control uh, my financial situation. I was trying to control this church. I was trying to control my health. I was trying to control all sorts of things in my life. And I was exhausted and my soul was at war within me because I can't control my children's hearts. I can't control what you think and what you do and how you act, this is a church. I can't control what the stock market does. I can't control, you know, all these things. And so I, I was living in a constant state of exhaustion because I was carrying all these burdens on my back, but I was never meant to carry those burdens because I'm, I was not created to bear the weight of outcomes. And I ended up getting a tattoo, big, huge tattoo on my right arm. It's of a raven and a bunch of flowers and an hourglass, and a banner across it that says, seek first the kingdom of God. Because that verse, and I'm about to read it to you, was such an encouragement for me. 
in a time of severe anxiety. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? That's the hour. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these things. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, stop trying to to control the outcomes and stop freaking out about the outcomes, what you'll wear, what, how beautiful you'll look, what you'll eat. He says, look, every bird out there gets what they need. And look at the flowers of the field. Look how beautiful and adorned they are. I'm going to clothe you. You're so much more valuable than the birds and the flowers. I'm going to provide for you. And he said, you're not, you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying about outcomes. And he says, so seek first the kingdom of God and the outcomes will be added to you. Translation, surrender to what God is telling you, to the life he's put in front of you, and he'll take care of the outcomes. So so mom, dad, I know you're terrified for your child's future. Here's what God is calling you to do, and I'm speaking this to myself. Raise your child to know and love God. Raise your child around other godly families, Crossroads kids. Pray with your child, read the scriptures to your child, and then trust God. Surrender to what God has told you to do and trust God for the outcomes. Same goes with your career. Same goes with your fertility. Same goes with your singleness. Same goes with your job. Same goes with your finances. Same goes with your health, the health of your spouse, the health of of your parents. You do what God has called you to do and trust him with the outcomes. And here is the promise. All these things will be added to you. And by just releasing the outcomes, there's a peace that comes over you. You can breathe peace, (laughs) rest. And then finally, there's the freedom of surrender, there's the peace of surrender, and then there's the joy of surrender. Um, I read a story uh, this week of a couple who went to a circus, and they watched the trapeze artists. I don't know if you've ever seen trapeze artists. It's pretty amazing. And they were mesmerized as they saw these acrobats flying through the sky, and so they decided to sign up for trapeze lessons. So they go to this warehouse, and they're taking trapeze lessons, and they show up, and they said their first lesson, they learn the two most basic rules. And that is that, that you must listen to the instructor who's on the ground, because the instructor can see everything. 
And the instructor is watching all the acrobats that are swinging around. And the instructor is the one who knows the timing. And when the timing is right, they will shout, Hep! And at that moment is the moment where you're supposed to let go. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later. And then, when you're in the air, you are supposed to simply stretch out your hands and keep your body still as you fly through the air, you know, 70 feet in the sky or whatever. And you trust that the catcher will catch you. Now, that's an incredible amount of trust, isn't it? That's an incredible amount of surrender involved there. But that's the only way. Otherwise, you'll go flying to the net 50 feet below you. And this couple that did this, they said it felt unnatural for the first few weeks. But after the first few lessons, they finally began to trust their instructor and trust their catcher. And they said they began to fly. And they began to experience the joy of soaring through the air and being caught. Psalm 37.5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he'll act. He will catch you. See, if God is calling you to let go, to loosen your grip, to trust him, you must trust that he is good, that he will act, and that he will catch you. And that every moment of surrender he calls you to is a moment where he is inviting you to experience the life he has for you. Do you believe that God wants you to soar? God wants the joy, his joy in your life. The joy of flying. See, it is for your joy and every moment that he calls you to surrender your will in your life, it is an opportunity for you to be the person God created you to be. I was talking to someone very close to me last week, um, and they were telling me about something that God had asked them to do that was extremely generous, uh, sacrificial for them, something a big sacrifice they made, but it was something that they were doing that was very generous to a family that needed something. And they were explaining to me that it was a very big sacrifice to them, but this person said to me, throughout my life, there have been a number of times where I felt the Holy Spirit calling me to surrender something great for the sake of others. And they said, you know, with regret, I, I realize I haven't always listened to that voice. But I have never regretted a single time that I have listened. They said, it has always been my joy to surrender what God is asking me to surrender. And this is a person who's been following Jesus for a long time and has surrendered quite a bit. And they were saying that there is never anything that God asked you to let go of that he's not given you back tenfold in some other way. You see, the invitation of the Christian life is to surrender our lives and our wills to Jesus. But I want you to know that Jesus never calls us to anything or anywhere that he hasn't first done or been himself. See, Jesus is our example. This is why Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Because he picked up his cross first. This is why he calls us to pray. Not my will, but yours. Because he prayed this prayer first. In John 4, 34, Jesus said to his disciples, My food, my whole life, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In Luke 22, just before Jesus was arrested and crucified, there's this moment where it says in verse 41, it says that Jesus knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him in that moment an angel from heaven strengthening him. 
As you know, then this is, you may know this is referring to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, you have the Son of God praying, agonizing, let this cup pass from me. This is not the outcome I want, Father. I don't want to die. Remove this cup from me, Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you have the Son of God being asked by the Father to surrender it all. And this is the point I want you to see there. Jesus knows what it feels like to not want to do what the Father wills for you to do. Jesus knows what it's like for the Father to ask him something and for his, the desires within him, his flesh, to go, I don't want to do it. We all know this feeling. God calls us to do something. God calls us to lay something down. God calls us to obedience in an area. And we were like, God, I know you're calling me. I know this is what you're asking. I know this is what you say in the scriptures. I know this is what you will. But I just, my flesh doesn't want it. And in this moment, we must choose. Do we grasp for control? My will be done. Or do we relinquish our lives to the care of God? Your will be done. Jesus was faced with this decision and he made his choice. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, it's not my will. It's yours that I want done. And I love that immediately the text says that an angel came from heaven and comforted him. And I believe that comfort is available to you and to me when we surrender. Not only was Jesus comforted, though, Jesus went to the cross He drank the cup of death. He surrendered everything to the Father's will. And on the cross, he paid for your sin and mine. He disarmed Satan and evil. And when he rose from the grave, he defeated death so that we could have life if we surrender to him. So here's the invitation to you today. Maybe you've never done the first surrender. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to God. And say, God, here's my life. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I can't control my life. I can't deliver myself from this addiction. I can't. I can't. But you can. I'll let you. Maybe you are, God's calling you to surrender to baptism. Maybe God, uh, maybe, maybe God's calling you to surrender something in your life that you've yet to surrender your will to. God's calling you to release your grip. He's calling you to let go of the clenched fists so that he can put his blessings in your open hands. God's calling you to surrender, whether it's your life or whether it's your will. What are you closing your grip around? And can you release your grip on that? Let me pray for us, church. God, we can't. You can. So I pray that you'll give us the strength to let you. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things that we cannot change and the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as we would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if we surrender to your will. 
so that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Church, would you